This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas, back again after another road trip. I went to the funeral of my dear friend, Vicki Thorne, the founder of Project Rachel. She was really the first researcher to discover the traumatic impact of abortion on women, not only physically, which of course we know now, but also spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. And she was a great friend, and uh, I went to her funeral. Then I had to go to a friend, uh, funeral of another dear friend in Washington, D.C. And also we had some great meetings um, with immigration lawyers and organizations that we've partnered with on resettling our friends, partners, and minorities in Afghanistan. And we should have some big news stories breaking on that on our resettlement successes in the next couple of weeks. So I know I get a lot of messages from folks saying, I know you're doing good work because your shows have slowed down. They have slowed down, hoping they'll pick up over the summer. But I had to have the great Johns Merrick on to talk about this recent leak of the decision um, that will end Roe v. Wade, overturn Roe v. Wade, sending abortion back to the States. Wanted to get John's take on that. And in doing so, he shared with me, uh, among other things, his phobia of the Dutch. You're going to have to listen to the end of the show because it's odd. John has a, a fear of the Dutch, and uh, at first it sounded a little absurd, and then he presented the source of his fear, and I was like, oh, it's a kind of a rational argument. I don't know what to say. Um, all right, this episode is being brought to you by MyPillow.com. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the code Jones, and this month, Mother's Day, bing, bang, boom, Great discounts and buy one, get one free on products such such as the Giza Dream Sheets. Uh, the episode is also being brought to you. This episode is also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing with the most vulnerable people in the world uh, during their most challenging times. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor, and you will be standing shoulder to shoulder with us as we are standing shoulder to shoulder with those who we are serving in Sudan, in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, and in the Western world with the child in the womb. So go to thegreatcampaign.org and join the team. All right, here we go with everyone's favorite guest, John Zmerich. John Smirak, welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thanks, Jason. It has been too long since we talked and had it recorded for the benefit of others. Yeah, it was our conversations that inspired me to do this podcast. And I thought if I recorded this, loaded it up onto the interwebs, uh, uh, Al Gore's interwebs, um, <laughs> and we, I could probably sell pillows. And alas, I use my friendship with you to sell pillows and the code is Jones over there at MyPillow.com. So, yeah, it has been a long time, John, and I have been uh, a deadbeat podcast host as I have been um, continuing to travel the world, was just in Washington, D.C. 
uh, the past couple of days, meeting with immigration lawyers and government officials and others, working on the resettlement of Afghans who are in hiding because they served alongside the United States military. Um, so the show has been, you know, I haven't been pumping them out like I should, especially in the wake of this leak. And I wanted to do um, a show, you know, as soon as possible to talk about uh, what in the world is, is, is going on here. What's going to happen? What's going to unfold? Well, that's Should interesting. We... Yeah, go ahead. My first, my column of, on the, the, the Supreme Court leak includes, it leads with an event involving you. You happen to be in Washington, D.C. for a funeral of a friend Yes. when the opinion was leaked. And the, within a couple of hours, you were one of a small band of pro-lifers in front of the Supreme Court facing down like 500 or a thousand transgenders for death or maybe, maybe they were Catholics for abortion. I don't know. I mean, the the president of the United States cited his Catholicism and his, and his, his, our identity as children of God in justifying abortion up through birth within a couple of hours of this leaked Supreme Court. Okay, John, let me address that. I really want to address what you just said. I got to correct something because it's absurd. So it was insane. So yeah, I happened to be there for a wake of a dear friend, and um, and then I built some immigration, you know, meetings with our immigration lawyers around that. Had a lot of work. Was exhausted. Had two funerals in four days, and uh, I thought, let me go to the Supreme Court. It's after midnight. I'll take a photograph and you know timestamp it, and go to my hotel and go to sleep. I did not imagine that there would be protesters. There may be a handful. I get there, and there are several hundred socialists. And what looked like frat boys. And and uh, we, I was kind of, it was bizarre. Because the pro-lifers that were there, for the most part, was this group called POW that's led by Teresa Bakovniak. So the pro-lifers were transgender, atheist, socialist pro-lifers. And let me tell you, they are the most sincere pro-lifers you had ever seen they're wild and they're left i heard one of the capitol police or supreme court police say i can't tell the groups apart because they looked similar they dressed similar That's funny. they That's used funny. the same foul language back and forth at each other it was funny because one of the pro boards had yelled at one of the pow members uh cursed at them and then they said you know something like f you back to them. Like, you're a christian you can't swear she goes i'm an atheist so f you <laughs> and uh well you know that is i was inspired by by that literally inspired by the sight of atheists for life confronting a pseudo-catholic pro-abortion president so i wrote a piece for stream.org called in the beginning abortion was murder and in that piece i argue that when we're faced with so-called christians who claim they're pro-choice what we have to remember is this if Christianity were pro-choice, it would be false. If Jesus were pro-choice, he would be a false messiah who would have deserved to be crucified. And if, and if we saw a pro-choice Jesus walking around claiming he'd risen from the dead, you would know that Satan had done it, and you should nail him back on the cross and set him on fire to be on the safe side. Christianity is something we embrace by faith. We don't know. We haven't personally witnessed the resurrection. We believe in it. The evil of abortion is certain. It is absolute. It is primal. 
In my article at stream.org, I argue that the evil of abortion is more certain than the existence of God. You don't need any speculative arguments. You don't need evidence. Seeing a baby and the idea of someone killing an innocent, helpless member of our own species, alligators don't permit that. They protect their young. Chimpanzees. Every higher species, you, you have to go down to the level of like land crafts to find species that just dump their young in the sea and don't care if they live or die. So leave God out of it. If you are a human being and you think human beings are good and human life is good and you, you see babies, you want to protect them. Even if you're a racist and this is a child from another race that you don't, you know, you don't like that race. You still find the children cute. Even slave owners used to think that the children of their slaves were cute. Even though they were exploiting them, they still found the children cute because that is the most fundamental instinct. <clears throat> when you find children cute, it's not just some primal animal instinct. It, it's a piece of data. It is you recognizing that life and human life is a good thing. And if we as a species, don't really b believe that and don't act on that, we're just going to die out as a species. Human race will just Yeah, you disappear. see a pregnant woman, you smile. It's an automatic instinct, right? You look right. at, you see, a, you're, in, you're, you're walking down Main Street, you see a pregnant woman walking by, and you will smile. Every single yeah. time, you will smile. It's natural. You, you cannot look at a pregnant woman and just not smile, period. Right. Um, right. you know, Even I, if she's like a member of a group you don't like, you still smile, you know? Yeah, she's and, wearing and a Joe Biden shirt. I'm going to smile, right? I'm like, okay, let's go, uh, Brandon. You're wearing the Biden shirt. <laughs> I'm still going to smile. Um, you know, when I was presented, when I first, you know, the issue, when, I, when, when the abortion issue fell on me, like a meteor, I was an atheist, and it, it, it immediately struck me as abhorrent, unthinkable. And uh, so when you see all these young atheists out there leading the way, um, but what was striking, John, is there were clean-cut kids that I thought would have been like college Republican kids and with their knit collared knit shirts and their, and their khaki pants, but they were holding up shirts that said, Raw Doggers for Life, okay, Raw Doggers for Life, which um, I can explain what that is. I will okay. turn turn it down if your kids are listening. It's you know the, the do the marital act without a condom. Okay, so they're like we're raw doggers. I'm, I'm sorry, not raw doggers for life. Raw doggers for abortion. Raw doggers for choice. Oh, I, I correct see, yeah. myself. The term I've heard was hose before embryos. Yeah. So these, yeah, these are guys. Well, these. Well, John, are look, the I got to finish this. So yeah, I thought okay. they. I thought these were like libertarian, like yaffers, young Americans for freedom, kind of wild kids, mocking the other side. No, no, they were the other side. And then I pointed to the pro, uh, some of the feminist pro boards. I said, don't you find that offensive? They're like, no, nah, I think that we think it's pretty funny. I said, you think it's funny? The guys are holding up signs saying they want to have sex without a condom. And therefore, women should have a right to have an abortion because they don't want to wear a condom. That's what you, you think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. They did not care. So here you have left wing vegan, atheist, pro-life feminists, 
face to face with, you know, 20 year old white guys holding up raw doggers for choice, hose before embryo, embryos, a hose before embryos signs. And the other side didn't flinch, but they weren't standing up to Christians or, you know, pro-life kids, LDS, Catholic, evangelical kids. No, no, no. They were standing up to trans uh, uh, young people there. They were st- it was unbelievable. And they were really the only ones there. Um, uh, Let who- me tell you why they found this funny, okay? What, they found it funny because it was the truth. And, and when the truth gets presented unexpectedly, when someone tips his hand and admits what he's really about, <clears throat> sometimes you laugh because you're kind of embarrassed for them. Uh, really, abortion is all about rich white male privilege. That's where it comes from. I have a second article at stream.org about, ha- about the origin of the central pro-abortion argument. <coughs> the central argument that a woman has abs- should have absolute autonomy over her body and that this is essential for women to be equal to men, that argument was never offered at any point in the history of the world until 18th century France. When that argument was presented by the Marquis de Sade, in his book, Philosophy in the Bedroom, he pioneers that argument. He was the first human being that we have any record of in the history of the world to say that a fetus has no more status than, than bodily waste, than nail clippings or feces. He said that. Now feminists say that. He was the one to say women need absolute sexual autonomy so that they can be equally libertine and irresponsible as men. And now feminists say that. We're, there is a direct intellectual lineage. So the Marquis de Sade wrote these ideas in the 18th century. He was in prison already for kidnapping and torturing prostitutes, which is his, his leisure time activity. And he defended that and explained the virtues of that. And he wrote long satanic pornographic books about incest, child rape, child murder, cannibalism, uh, really unbelievably disgusting filth. You can't read more than a page or two if, if you're a sane human being. But you know who read all of it? Jean-Paul Sartre and his girlfriend, Simone de Beauvoir. They were huge fans of the Marquis de Sade. Simone de Beauvoir wrote an entire book called Must We Burn Sod? She wrote a whole book, scholarly book, defending Saad, the Saad and saying that he was a major, major philosopher who we needed to take seriously. If you look at uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's book, Being in Nothingness, uh, the, most of it is just, is just lifted, stolen from Heidegger. But the section on relationships between men and women, on sexuality and love, those are stolen from the Marquis de Saad. And he repeatedly refers to Saad. Simone de Beauvoir took Saad's arguments for abortion and made them mainstream in the book, The Second Sex. She wrote, helped draft the, the famous petition of, of women who'd had abortions in France that, that called for the legalization of abortion. And she specifically used the same arguments as the Marquis de Saad. You know who picked them up next? Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her constitutional opinions in her arguments before the court and later her Supreme Court decisions, 
she repeats the Marquis de Sade's argument that women need to be able to kill their unborn babies in order to be sexually equal to men. So this is the mainstream feminist position in defense of abortion comes from a psychopathic torturer. When I, I, I read that article, John, as I started to read your article, I thought, this is going to be a stretch. I'm going to see how John, I, I, th- I have to imagine that John's kind of stretching the truth here. And then when you d- directly quote from the Marquis de Sade, it's as if they're, they're, I mean, it's not an accident. The signs that we see at these abortion rallies are, are lifted right from the Marquis de Sade, lifted directly from him. Yeah, and, and what, what's interesting is de Sade says, um, at one point he says that athe- atheism is obviously true, and if you believe in God, you're an imbecile. And if you're an atheist, you're going to affirm a- abortion rights. And the thing is, that's false. The Marquis de Sade is wrong. Even an atheist should see that the innocent, health, that innocent, healthy members of your own species, you want to protect them. To just, a species which started eating half its young, that's a species that would be doomed. That is a species that would eventually disappear from the earth. If we found a kind of lizard that ate most of its young, if we found a kind of mammal which destroyed its healthy young, we would think this is a a genetic mutation. This is some kind of terrible mistake. And this species is doomed. And we wouldn't mourn it. We would not think it was too tragic that such a species disappears. If if humanity continues to abort its children, I, I say in the article, mankind will disappear and it will deserve to. And there will be no reason to mourn it. Let the dolphins grow legs and take over our abandoned cities. So what I'm saying is this has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ. If humanity continues to destroy its young, it will disappear from the face of the earth, and that will be, on balance, a good thing. Let the human race disappear. Those are the stakes of the abortion debate. Whether or not the human race deserves to exist or deserves to disappear. That's how primal and fundamental this is. Well, it will happen, John, because um, and when we were doing, when I was doing research for our book, "The Race to Save Our Century," we came across that speech from, I believe it was 1945, September 1945, that Monsignor Fulton Sheen gave at Catholic University, where he talked about the droppings of the uh, the atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima will pave the way uh, for the decriminalization and legalization of abortion. Uh, because we've said there's no use, there's no limits to the use of violence. And then in the 70s, um, it's uh, been, Mother Teresa was quoted as saying that the fruit of, of abortion is nuclear war. So in a way, Fulton Sheen said that the fruit of uh, total war is abortion. And Mother Teresa said the fruit of abortion is total nuclear war. Um, right. there, there is a line you of think- gesture between a country that aborts one-third of its children and a country that abandons Afghanistan without looking back as, you know, millions starve to death and our friends and allies are hunted and, and beheaded and set on fire. I think they're, they're rooted together. There's a, there's a, and, and a country, a country that, re- that recklessly courts a potential nuclear war with Russia. Unflinchingly. Yeah. You know, I was just talking we to are- a neighbor who, 
Um, that's why I was late <laughs> calling you, John. Is and when you live in Texas, it's it's like Hawaii in that your neighbors just come on by. And, hey, hey, how many times have we been on the phone? I'm like, my neighbor's here, and uh, <laughs> he was he was like, you know, um, he's like, I don't know. We were talking about Ukraine, and he seemed to be kind of you know believing in this sort of we should be aggressive towards Russia. He goes, they'll never use nuclear weapons. I said, let me ask you a question. If America was in an existential, under existential threat the way Russia is right now with our threatening involvement in Ukraine, would we use nuclear weapons? Would we use nuclear weapons if they were, if Russia were at our door um, aiding our enemies to target our ships and our generals? Would we use nuclear weapons? He goes, oh yeah, of course we would. I said, do you think? Yeah. Our moral, uh, Putin's moral compass is, is, is better than our moral compass. He goes, no. I, I said, well, then yeah, we're in some, t- this is uh, we're playing a game of chicken here. Uh, yeah. and all of humanity is in the car. And I think that that kind of recklessness is grounded in our abortion culture. The thoughtlessness of, uh, the gaslighting of Ukraine that we actually want to help them win this war. No one believes that we want to help Russia. I mean, Ukraine win this war. We want to, we want to use Ukraine as an instrument to gut Russia, and we want this to go on forever. We do not want Russia to win. We do not want Ukraine to win. We want to fuel a stalemate. General Mark Milley said that to the press. He said the goal is a quagmire. That is our strategy, is to create a quagmire. What that means is maximum civilian deaths, maximum dead Ukrainians, maximum dead Russians, Win-win. They're all white Europeans anyway. Let them die. Uh, we, we don't care. We just want to weaken and cripple Russia. We want to turn Ukraine into Russia's Afghanistan, Russia's Vietnam. Now, think about how the people of Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq ended up after our wars there. So anyone who still pretends he cares about Ukrainian lives and Ukrainian civilians and Ukrainian culture and buildings and infrastructure. You can't support the insane escalation of, of de- degenerate, irresponsible hacks from Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton on the left to Karl Rove and Lindsey Graham on the fake warmongering right. The, the, the center, the unified war party that has run America since at least 1992 is, uh, is leading us towards destruction. And they don't care if our borders are secure. They don't care if our food supply is secure. They don't care if we're being forced to take dangerous vaccines made from unborn children. Now, they don't now, care about any of that. Now it's admitted the vaccines, Johnson & Johnson vaccine now has been... Uh... It's lost its approval. So I, I posted that on Facebook and, a, and asked them for an apology. I didn't get the apology yet. Um, Pfizer, we have documents now saying Pfizer knew its vaccine was only 15% efficacious. So it basically made you more likely to get to get COVID than less. Um, all, all, but, you know, here's the thing. All the people who spoke out against the vaccine are still banned from social media. They are still exiled as crackpot extremists, even though they were right. That's exactly what happened to you and me over the Iraq war. We were right, but we were right too soon. And so we're, we're extremists. And it doesn't matter that we were right. 
Um, in fact, that makes it even more offensive. The people who are wrong, the Jonah Goldbergs and the Rich Lowrys of this world, they still, they're still in the mainstream because they were wrong, but they were wrong along with the herd. We were right, and we irritated the herd. We annoyed them. We wouldn't follow the Gadarene swine over the cliff into the sea. And that makes us jerks. Yeah, lucky jerks. We were right, but not for the right reasons. You know, That's right. We, they were wrong for noble reasons. <laughs> yeah. It might, it, it, our opposition to the invasion of Iraq might be the very reason uh, for Obama's withdrawal and the rise of ISIS and his failure to do anything about it. You could have planted That's, the seeds right. for that apathy. Absolutely. I, I blame myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to challenge you on something, John. So you say God has nothing to do with it. And when I was a young atheist, actually reading Nietzsche, Freud, and Sartre, searching for an anthropology, can you believe how naive I was? That as a young yeah. atheist, Randian, I realized Ayn Rand, she always talked about the self-evident axiomatic dignity of the human person. Uh, of course, she was not pro-life, but I just, I forgave her thinking, well, you know, she didn't understand the science, the bio, you know, the, the nature of human development. She was an born in the early 20th century in Russia. I, I gave her a pass on, on that. But, you know, she did have this exalted anthropology of the, you know, vision of the human person. So I looked for, for a, a foundation, and I looked to Nietzsche and Freud and Sartre. And, and uh, what they did is they blew up any hope for, for an explanation for human dignity outside of revealed religious truth. I could see it. I agreed with Ayn Rand and the Founding Fathers that it was self-evident, as the founder said, or axiomatic, as Ayn Rand said. But I thought there maybe I'll have to look to revealed religious truth um, to kind of find an explanation for the source of this human dignity. And then you don't see in pre-Christian culture sort of a concern for, for the vulnerable like you do in Christianity. It was the Christians and the Jews that rescued the, Rome, the Roman children off the exposure walls where they would put their unwanted children to be eaten by wild wolves. And now we use yeah. unwanted children to power electric plants in Philadelphia. Um, and, and so I do, there isn't there a religious component to it? You, you, you have the uh, Ruth sent us. Uh, they said that they're going to attack Catholic churches on Mother's Day of all days because they love women. They're going to disrupt masses across America on Mother's Day, may there, there is a religious component to the struggle to protect life from violence, isn't there in some way? Isn't the Christian there faith is, some uh, way intertwined in this? Well, what I'm saying is it's not part of any logical argument. You don't need the existence of God to know that abortion is despicable. But if you don't believe in God, you might decide, you know, sometimes we have to do despicable things because necessary and there's nobody to punish sin there is no justice after this after this life so we we have to do despicable things from time to time but you know it's despicable do you know jason one with the with the romans exposing children this is something i learned recently doing research do you know why they would expose the children rather than just outright kill them they didn't want the responsibility for directly killing them they were squeamish about it so they would put the kids out on the wall and say, we're leaving it to the gods. And if the gods want to send someone to rescue the child, that's fine. We're not killing the child. The gods are. Eesh. Roman pagan didn't want the direct responsibility for active infanticide. They just put the children there and left it supposedly to the gods. 
because they felt ah. squeamish about it. Yeah. That's really interesting. So the exposure walls were were a way to get around um, murder, the direct intentional killing of the child in the womb. That's I mean, right. a child. Remember, they they was, weren't remember, killing the child. That's right. Romulus and Remus were left in the left out in the wild, and supposedly a wolf came along and took care of them. And there are all these Greek myths and Roman myths about children being left in the wild, and then some shepherd finds them and raises them. So that was a that was a sign that they were not comfortable directly murdering a child because something in them revolted against it. Now you and I say that's the natural law written on the human heart by God, um, but you don't have to logically believe in a single monotheistic creator God to realize that killing your own children is wrong. It's inherently repugnant and repulsive. That's why women who've had abortions, who are atheists, still feel terrible guilt about it. They're not thinking with a Christian conscience, this violates the, the, you know, the divine precepts, this violates the Ten Commandments. They don't believe in that. They still feel terrible about it. They still feel guilty about it. The, the most primordial thing, the most primordial experience that, is, that a human being can have is to see children and and love them and want them to be healthy and want them to be happy. And if you don't feel that, there's something missing in you. You're a psychopath or you're maybe you're clinically depressed, so your your perception of life is so jaded and jaundiced that you can't even see that. But a normal, psychologically complete human being responds to children with tenderness. It is built into us. That is not just some animal instinct. That is a primal response to the goodness of life and the goodness of human existence. And a culture that represses that and denies that and poisons that and cannibalizes that for parts for medical experiments or burns it for fuel, a culture that is that is poisoned at that root, at that deeper level, that culture is going to disappear and good riddance, good riddance. Yeah, I think we'll disappear uh, just from violence, a war of all against all. I mean, like you have Russia, a country where they had the highest abortion rate in, in the world for, uh, with Romania and China, I guess, sort of running neck and neck for the past yeah. 50 years. You have the United States that, you know, half the nation says that it's the founding principle of our country is the right to murder a child in the womb. And yeah, these are the two super nuclear superpowers. I wouldn't bet yeah. that this ends well. And if the human race aborts itself out of existence, the, the, there'll be no reason to mourn it. The only thing I can think of is that I, I worry about who would take care of the dogs because dogs need human beings. So if, if we wipe ourselves out by embracing abortion, I, I just feel bad for all the beagles and the labs and the shih tzus and the poodles out there. You'd love that blasphemous movie, Noah. Have you seen the movie, Noah? The, the one you and I Oh, yeah, yeah. Criticized? Yeah, we boycotted yeah. it, ripped it. It was like, what, 10 years yeah. ago? We ripped it to yeah, shreds. One of the funniest things we ever wrote was our review of Noah. Oh, yeah. What was it? The um, uh, We compared it to the Unabomber. God as Unabomber, because the only reason God wanted the human race to live was to care for the animals. And he just needed a handful of them. And he wanted no children. 
So you, that's John. John, you've been pushed to that point by the, hey, if this is what you guys want, okay. <laughs> but we need to keep Noah around to tend to the Beagles because somebody has to care that's for right. the Beagles. Who's going to care for that's the Beagles? That's right. But the Beagles aren't embracing the culture of death. The Beagles aren't warmongers. No, you said something that was striking to me. Imagine there was another species that killed half of its offspring or one-third of its offspring or 20% of its we would be horrible. What kind of monster? We would probably call it the monster creature. It would, it would be, yeah. you know, it would be, yeah. a, it would be, a, we'd make movies about it, you know, and is um, this or it would monster be so, animal. something so prim, really primitive, like a crab. Crabs like give birth to millions of offspring and don't care what happens to them. And sometimes they end up, some of them end up eating them, but it's because it's so primitive. It, it doesn't have much consciousness. You know, it's 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 such a low and low level animal. Monkey apes don't do this, except you know maybe they'll kill the children of their rivals um, and then cannibalize them. And we're horrified by that. We're horrified when we see chimpanzees doing that. Yeah, I always um, say that that's the foundation of morality that I think all of us can agree on. We don't kill our own babies, and we don't eat people. But as you once shared with me, that cannibalism is not always a mortal sin. So there's oh. that. <laughs> no, that that was some crazy Jesuit came up with the theory that uh, <laughs> you can say it. You can say it. Uh, a right. child warning ahead. Well, the, the the teaching of the Catholic Church is that the only possible excuse for cannibalism is if the person's already dead and you're going to starve to death. Yes, and there's no other means of preserving your life. Correct. You can reluctantly uh, consume this person's flesh. But what if you wantonly in, consume human flesh? You didn't kill the person, but there's a corpse here. What if you, you eat it without good reason? Well, according to this Jesuit, Aish. it's a mortal it's a mortal sin if the person was baptized because then they're a child oh, of God. Oh, Lord, I didn't know this. This is different. If they're unbaptized, then it's it's only a venial sin because they have not been you know they have not been regenerated in Christ. I hope this guy's not a consultant to Joe Biden because that could lead to some. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about the, the Democrats and the Jesuits. In 1964, the, the Kennedy family had a summit at Hyannisport where they brought in the most prominent liberal theologians in the Catholic Church, most of them Jesuits from the Northeast, to put together the arguments for Catholics supporting legal abortion nine years before Roe versus Wade. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I think I'm going to start reading Jack Chick. <laughs> Jack Why read? Just read the newspaper. <laughs> Jack, okay, Jack Chick you, is running the Catholic Church from beyond the grave. Okay, let's. can we bring it to Pope Francis real quick? Sure, we, we haven't done sure. a show in a while. I'm going to throw a lot of curveballs at you. All right, I was in Rome... You know, I could have lightly tossed a baseball. I was so close to Pope Francis, just, uh, you know, 20, 30 feet from Pope Francis during the consecration of Russia and Ukraine. I know a lot of people are saying strange things like he consecrated to pocket mama. I don't know where that's coming from. My friend Taylor, I guess, is saying that or that uh, it wasn't supposed to be Russia. I mean, Ukraine, just Russia, although Ukraine was part of Russia when Our Lady asked this, da-da-da. Um, but he did do that. And now he's asking to meet with Putin. 
He tweeted support of a movie I was involved with last week. And then yesterday, it's as if he was reading our articles on Ukraine. He came out and said that NATO has been, you know, running, a, uh, putting a red cape in front of Ukraine for a long time now, trying to go the angry beer into slamming into that country, uh, which I think took some courage. And I wonder how his friends like Mark Shea and others are taking that, um, his adorers. What, what's going on with Pope Francis? Is this... Are, are, are we suspecting that he might be inching towards converting to Catholicism? <laughs> that would be a great thing. That would be a great thing. We should all pray for Pope Francis to convert <laughs> first to Christian, first to theism, then to Christianity, and then ultimately to Catholicism. It'll take a while. He'll, there'll be a lot of reading he needs to do, a lot of research. Maybe he can get instruction from some simple Latin mass priest on, on you know, the basics. It's, it's kind of like if you find some South Sea Islander who's from a culture that doesn't even understand the idea of monotheism, you have to start slow, maybe use pictures and symbols to try to convey the basic, basic core principles of monotheism and then Christianity. But, you know, we should pray for everyone. There's hope for everyone. Okay, but let's let's honestly... He's not singing off the establishment sheet of music on Ukraine. He's just not. Well, yeah, you know, you know, honestly, when I, I, I do think what the Pope recently said on Ukraine and Russia is admirable. And I'll tell you what it what made me think. Maybe even George Soros and Klaus Schwab are scared of what they've unleashed. They may actually be afraid there's going to be a nuclear war and they won't there won't be any great reset. If you push the red button, that's not the reset button. That's the end button. That's the, the, <laughs> the delete key. That's the delete key. They won't hit the reset Reset key. button, not the delete button. Not game over. <laughs> not the on and off that's switch. What, that's the on and off switch, guys. Nah, not the yeah. on and off switch. I think that's what it is. Could I think it be? Actually, Could it be that yeah. Pope Francis is just a liberal Jesuit from Argentina that has good old-fashioned anti-Yankee prejudice but is repulsed by war? That might be true too. That might be true too. That he's that his his hatred of America is not it has kicked in to the point where now America is just bossing everyone around, and it's starting to bother him. Maybe somebody slipped him that Oliver Stone movie on on Ukraine. It's a great um, movie. Are you are you poking fun at that movie? I, I like no, it. No, no, no. I'm not poking fun at it. I'm just thinking that might be the the only kind of messenger that would appeal to the Pope. Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone has. Oliver Stone has to say it, and then he'll take it seriously. No, I'm, I'm all for Oliver Stone's movie on Ukraine, just like I'm all for Dinesta Souza's new movie, 2,000 Mules. I've got an interview about that just appearing right now at the stream. I interview Eric Metaxas, who actually appears in the movie. I cannot wait to see this movie. If Now, what did Eric say? Is it going to be as disruptive as I'm hoping? He, think, he thinks so. What he says is, okay, here's... Tell everyone what the movie's about. We're talking about 2,000 Mules. I'm trying to get Dinesh on the show. So 2,000 Mules, uh, Dinesh D'Souza. Okay, the Mules mules refer to, Mule is someone who smuggles something, okay? Like a drug mule. These were vote mules. These were people whose job it was to collect fake ballots for Joe Biden and put them into these drop boxes that were set up under the pretext of COVID. And you had mules going from ballot from ballot dump to ballot dump to ballot dump. So Mark Zuckerberg pays for these ballot harvesting 
things that are not supervised, they're not secure. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and George Soros and other leftists pay for these so-called volunteers who go from place to place collecting ballots. Now, that's illegal. It is illegal in 50 states to take ballots from one person and then deliver them to the voting to the voter to the voting center. You, that you're supposed to deposit your own vote or you're supposed to put it in the mail. If we have voted mail-in voting, which is a problem too, but these people—they're not the post office, and they're not election workers. They're just random people hired off the street, and they wore latex gloves to avoid having fingerprints. Think about that. Why would you need? Unbelievable! They knew they were premeditated. They knew they were well aware of the fact that maybe they didn't want to spread COVID. That's what they're going to say. They were. Yeah, they were loving they us. They were thinking about right? us. And they were wearing they were wearing condoms too, so I feel safer knowing okay. that. Um, so why and what happened was Dinesh D'Souza, this is genius. He bought the cell phone data. So he tracks the people's cell phone, it was all in from public information, and shows this the same person gathered nine hundred ballots. This person gathered twenty thousand ballots. They went to ten different voting centers. All of this is illegal, and it apparently happened on a mass scale across the country in those swing states that mysteriously stopped counting in the middle of the night. Unbelievable. Could the Roe v. Yeah. Wade leak? This is going to sound kooky. Could the Roe v. Wade leak really be just to take attention away from this movie? I mean, yeah, 2016 I Obama's likely. America rocked the world. I was a part of that marketing team, and that film really almost changed an election because you had Mitt Romney who nobody liked. And uh, yeah. it was sort of like Obama versus 2016 Obama versus Dinesh D'Souza in 2012. Yeah. Um, yeah it was an amazing movie. And uh, you know, if, if we'd had a candidate who actually wanted to win yeah, um, either with McCain or Romney, uh, you know, they might've won. I thank God in retrospect, I thank God that they didn't win. Because they would have done the exact same things as Obama, plus they would have gotten us into a useless war in Syria. So I think it was divine providence that those two pieces of crap went down to defeat. Yeah, pray God. They were worse than Obama. The, the neocons, the, the establishment Republicans, are worse than the Democrats because they won't stop abortion. They won't stop the transgender agenda. They won't stop gun gun seizures, but they will get us into pointless wars that kill lots of brown people and destroy lots of historic Christian Well, well let's be That's fair. That's just not do. fair. That's not fair. I think the neocons will will spread the love, well, as, as the neolibs are. I mean, they're spreading the love. I mean, there are, you know, cute little yeah, girls with blonde hair and blue eyes with nicely braided yeah, hair killing. that are being turned to pink dust in the blink of an eye uh, because of, of Biden's gaslighting of the Ukrainian people with so pledges Ukraine of support. Is the per- Ukraine is the perfect war, perfect neocon war, because it's useless, it's expensive, it makes defense contractors rich, but the people it's killing are white Christians, so you don't even have to feel bad about it. So in a sense, this is the perfect war. This could go on for 100 years. Well, if you remember in 2012, in the primary and general election, Mitt Romney was banging war drums against Russia. Oh, yeah. 2016. In 2016, you and I both watched 
the Republican candidates' foreign policy debate. And all but three of the candidates wanted to shoot down Russian planes in order to help al-Qaeda take control of Syria. Literally, that is literally the case. Al-Qaeda, the people who did 9-11, were controlling the rebels in Syria. Uh, There were no moderate rebels. Moderate rebels don't exist. I mean, McCain met with that moderate rebel, remember? He went and shot a video with the guy, and then the video of that guy, two weeks before his meeting with McCain, surfaced of eating the heart of a Christian that he had killed. I didn't know that one. Yeah, wow. it was, and that, yeah, that's mo- that's the moderate. So, I would hate to see the extremists. The extremists would eat it raw, maybe. Uh, this guy was uh, eating it raw. I'm pretty sure. Oh, all right then. I, then I there mean, is that, I, I, exactly. I don't, I don't know. The extremists. The thing about the Middle East is would, the thing about the Middle East. You know is, the extremists you can find someone more extreme. The extremists would be against uh, transgender story hour. Well, there you go. There you go. That's so. <laughs> All but all but three of the Republican candidates, all the so-called mainstream candidates, were for a no-fly zone over Syria that would shoot down Russian planes. Only Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Donald Trump said this is insane. I remember Rand Paul confronting Chris Christie, Chris Christie burning all 85 IQ points trying to keep up with Rand Paul. Uh, and Rand Paul saying, this is a recipe for World War III. Are you out of your mind? All so that these radical jihadists can take over Syria? And that's, you know. Our friends in Syria were being slaughtered, and we have to acknowledge it was Iran and Russia and the Kurds that saved them. That's right. Certainly wasn't us. It was not us. No, we had armed ISIS. That's right. So. Yeah, Jason, things are are pretty rough out there. Um, I I have something fun that I I think might appeal to people. When when current events are getting to you and you think you're going to go insane, sometimes political political satire, sometimes political satire, it can help you. Like I went back and rewatched Wag the Dog from 1997. What a genius movie about corrupt politicians trying to stay in power by manufacturing a fake foreign war for America to win, in this case against Albania. Um, and it's genius. And, and the, fun, the amazing thing is a lot, and they create fake refugees, they create fake battles, they create fake heroes. And sure enough, all of this happened in Ukraine. We have the ghost of Kiev who never even existed. Well, I've heard this. Wait, whoa, okay. I have been like with horse blinders on since August 13th. I have 7,000 people in Afghanistan and Pakistan in our safe houses and network of direct support. Hundreds we fed, thousands. We've got, um, we're with our partner in Ukraine, almost 2,000 young women, children with Down syndrome and autism in our safe houses. Today, I bought an air conditioned truck to bring insulin in and around Ukraine. So I'm just, I'm sitting here with my horse blinders. I have heard okay. this. I'm not, I've heard that the ghost of Kiev did not exist from a lot of friends. Didn't know to believe it or the not. Government of Ukraine has, the government of Ukraine has admitted he never existed. So when I saw a news story, but I saw a news story two days ago say he died. <laughs> so he didn't exist. He, he never existed. He never, he, ne- he never existed. And, and you knew that because a court, I mean, the news reports about him, he would have shot. He shot down more Russian planes than any air combat 
pilot has ever done in the history of air combat. So he would have been like the Red Snoopy versus the Red Baron. He shot down some more Russian planes in one day than any pilot ever has in the history of the world. Okay, I, that's dubious right there. The footage documenting it turned out to be from a video game. And, and now we know he never even existed. And the Russian, the Ukrainian government has admitted they created him to live, to boost morale. Huh. So people go back and watch Wag the Dog and let it make you as jaded and cynical. And the, as and, you the need and the be. problem with this though is John, like when one of our ambu- one of our vans got shelled and it was sh- it was hit in a rocket attack. There were three wounded. Um, People were doubting me. My own friend said, oh, come on. Are you sure the Ukrainians didn't blow up your van? No, they didn't, guys. Come on. Well, that's the, I mean, see, that's the problem. When, when you're dishonest. When, when your yeah. own side is lying yeah. recklessly, uh, the truthful things disappear in the, in the noise. You know? It's horrible. It's like World War One. The Germans were pretty brutal in Belgium. But they were not crucifying babies the way the British government said. And, and, and the insane propaganda the British government created about the Germans in World War I came back to bite them because when the Germans were really were doing the Holocaust 20 years later, nobody believed it because it sounded like the propaganda that had been made up during World War I about the Kaiser. Well, no, when I remember being, I was in the Army infantryman um, leading up to the invasion of Iraq I would write a letter a day to my chain of command asking to be transferred to 427. I was in 127 because 427 Wolfhounds, uh, they were being deployed to Iraq. And when I saw that one, that little, the young girl saying she watched them killing, throwing babies out of incubators and bayonetting them, I was lusting to go and kill Iraqis, just lusting. And I would write letter after letter after letter and I was so heartbroken that I could not get deployed. And then, of course, we find out that that girl was a student at Georgetown Visitation, I believe. She had not been to Kuwait in a long time. And she was, the, I believe, the ambassador or at least some embassy employee's yeah. child. It was all she been hired lies. By a, hired and coached by a PR firm. All lies. And so, right, what happens is those of us, like my organization, the VPP, we are trying to get people to believe in these atrocities like the Uyghur genocide or Khartoum's relentless war of genocide against the Nuba in Sudan. You know, people are always skeptical. And again, even like trying to call this genocide, not everything is genocide. The war in Ukraine is not genocide. It doesn't mean there are not war crimes taking place. Right. Um, right. But what it means is the genocide has a very specific designation. It took us years and years and years and years of presenting evidence to the Trump administration uh, and the State Department to get that genocide designation for the Uyghur. But of course, the word genocide is thrown around whenever they're trying to get you into a war. Oh, right. yeah. Then I you, mean, can, you can't use the, when you're trying to boycott the Beijing Genocide Olympics, which we did. The, the State Department has recognized there is a genocide in China, and people would say, Jason, you know, you really shouldn't call it a genocide. But it is a genocide. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not trying to go genocide to war with China is, yet. Genocide is when a, millennials, when a millennial 
is upset because his parents are, whose basement he's living in are telling him to start changing his underwear. This is <laughs> genocide, man. Is that it's it? fascist. These are just buzzwords that, that, that they've hollowed out of any genuine substantive meaning. It, it just means I'm really pissed right now. I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's used to get us into a war, right? They want, well, yeah, they want yeah. war with Russia, which is really unbelievable. The gamble well, is unbelievable with everyone with on earth. You know, I, I have always thought I can never be a bus driver or a pilot because I would have a nervous breakdown at the thought of these people's lives are in my hands. You oh know, yeah. Uh, how would these people are careening now wonder why I've wondered why they don't flinch at the hell that they've unleashed in in Afghanistan. They unflinchingly are willing to play chicken with Putin uh, and start world war three. Yeah. Yeah. That's how psychotic. Well, I think a lot of them really are possessed. And so the, the metaphor is the Gadarene swine thundering towards the sea. Yeah, that's that's frightening, isn't it? I was thinking of having an exorcist on Father uh, Ripperger to come on and talk yeah. about abortion and demonic possession because every time I'm face to face with these advocates of abortion, I, whenever I'm debating somebody, I will look at them and say they 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 hold to their position out of a commitment to human flourishing and the justice and the common good, right? So as we're debating, I think, okay, this person and I share a commitment to human flourishing, justice, and the common good. But when you go to these abortion rallies, you will see, quote-unquote, pro-choice activists who you will look at them and say, okay, you know, I can tell this person is sincerely committed to women. Probably their inciting incident was something very intimate and personal that happened to them or someone they love, and they are here for that reason, and they are committed with me to human flourishing, justice, and the common good. But I can tell you, like at this last event, I saw very few of those folks. I did see a few. Um, but really, I just thought, are they possessed? Are they, are they totally yeah. demented? These are just poor, sorrowful, broken people that will probably never have a day of joy in their life. I had to stop doing sidewalk counseling and praying and doing much prayer outside clinics because I could feel the tangible presence of, of demons, of preternatural evil, which I, I, I'm not some alarmist who feels that all the time. I don't feel that if I walk past an occult bookstore or if I see people doing yoga, you know, I feel the personal presence of evil in two situations, outside abortion clinics and when I meet genuine anti-Semites, people who really hate Jews. There's some, I feel that same cold, icy presence. It's like I'm, I'm in the presence of Baal. I'm in the presence of Moloch. I'm in the presence of those demons that the Jewish prophets denounced and cast out and fought against. Yeah, you're talking like uh, 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 Hannah Arendt would talk about the difference between anti-Semitism and Jew hatred. You're talking not about the old Greek guy who's like, when I came to this country, I got a loan from this guy. No. You're, not, you're talking about what I, uh, Hannah Arant would say, those that are that are possessed by what you call uh, Jew hatred. The, the, yeah, I mean, the uh, these are like neo-Nazis neo that I ran into. Yep. And, yeah, and it's in, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because now that you say that, I, I, I've seen that, um, and it's really mysterious. 
this sort of well, hatred. These are people who, who would hate the Virgin Mary and St. Joseph and presumably Jesus and all the apostles. Well, they would tell you Jesus was English or the, something. <laughs> yeah. And all the early church, you know, and all the Old Testament saints, these people would hate all of them. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's demonic. That is demonic. Yeah, what about if they hate the Dutch? I never hated the Dutch. If you want me to tell this story, I feared the Dutch. No, no, I want to. What is it? The line from um, Austin Powers about the two the kinds of people I hate: people who judge people for their. Oh yeah, for their ethnic background and the Dutch. Yeah, yeah. okay. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought no, you he were says that, the No, he says there's I uh, had an Austin Powers. I John Smirak. Okay, okay. I John Smirak had a childhood phobia of the Dutch. But that. But that oh, did you get abandoned thing. in the woods in Michigan? What happened? It, um. Well, first let me explain how it. How it. You how thought it they were going to come back and take Queens back? What was going to happen? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm just first. And by the way, I, I, I have no fear of us being doxxed at all for you expressing yeah. your hatred of the Dutch. I think you are not free. hatred. Okay, it fear. Was fear. I think you are Dutchophobia. I think is one hundred percent allowed. Okay. The funny thing is, National Lampoon did a satirical article with the Dutch, with an anti-Dutch conspiracy theory, like you know, all, making fun of like anti-Semitism. Okay. And I read it as a kid, and I thought, finally, someone else sees this. <laughs> oh no. Okay, let's go. Um, let's do this. Here, all right, I got. I wouldn't eat Dutch. I would check all cheese to make sure it wasn't gouda or gouda cheese. <laughs> um, there was a, a Dutch Dutch milk, uh, Dutch Farms brand of milk. I wouldn't drink that milk. Hmm. Um, my mother brought uh, would would bring home Dutch ham, and I wouldn't eat it. I would beg her to get a Polish ham instead. Okay. Um, I wouldn't drink any Dutch chocolate milk. Oh my, this is horrible. This I, prejudice is I, in, in self-inflicted harm. Okay. I, I wait, wait, I'm not finished. I okay. wouldn't go to Pennsylvania Dutch country until someone proved to me it was actually Deutsch, that they were Germans, not Dutch. I would not go to any historic sites in New York state that had Dutch names. So I wouldn't go to two of the Washington Irving homes because they had Dutch names like Van Cortland. But but I would go to the one that had an English name. Is this um, true? Are you pulling my? Yeah, leg? I'm not making any of this up. And I wanted <laughs> okay. when I found out the Dutch had settled New York, I begged my parents to move. What? My mother, my mother decided to cure me of this, in in her very subtle shanty Irish way. She baked a Dutch ham, which took hours, okay. filled the house with the smell of ham, and then forced me to eat it. As a result, I couldn't eat ham for the next 20 years. So, Any ham. Well, you have to ham. tell us the source of your fear of the yes. Dutch. Yes, I'm going I'm going I'm going to try to explain that. Okay, he's going to he's going to shut up. I'm getting another phone and then the dogs are going to bark. I love it. Just a second. This is breaking news, guys. If I hope there is, um, right, never mind. I, never mind. I missed the stupid call. Okay. Okay. So, what is the origin? Yeah, I want to know the source of the uh, protocols of the elders of what? Of Utrecht. <laughs> of Utrecht. Okay, I, you read my this. My father, this. when I was younger, when I was really young, my father brought me home a book of Dutch folk tales. Okay. And they were Calvinist folk tales. 
where the sinners got hideously punished, like eaten by rats or drowned in canals. And these were really harsh Calvinistic fairy tales, and they just filled me with fear of the Dutch, where the stories came from. And you, you had a, you should be afraid of Calvinists. I mean, I think that's, that's right. That's I think right. fearing Calvin, but I think <laughs> grounding it in an ethnicity is not fair. But I think grounding it in an ideology, because you can fair. spot them now; they're really easy to spot. Jason, I think this is another show I've got to do. So I really let me. All jump, right, but John, you, so you jump you off. I'm going to wrap it up. We have. Uh, We've ruined you in, in uh, Northwestern Europe. Okay, thank you. Bye, bye, John. All right, well, that is, that is it. That was a strange way to end the show. The Protocols of the Elders of Utrecht, uh, the source of John Zmirak's uh, Dutch phobia. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm bewildered and left speechless. But uh, we'll wrap it up here. This was another odd episode of the Jason Jones show. I'm excited next week or soon to announce a big new sponsor to go along with our two great sponsors, mypillow.com. They have a BOGO sale, a BOGO sale, buy one, get one on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you need for this summer. Also great deep discounts on all their products. I think there's BOGO on all sorts of stuff. So you got to go to the website, mypillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use the code Jones. And so, you know, right now we have about 7,000 people in safe houses across two countries. We have, um, with our partner Solve Care, uh, almost 2,000 uh, people in shelters across Western Ukraine. Today, I bought a truck in Hungary. I bought a truck thanks to our generous donors. Uh, it's an air conditioned truck, which will allow not only food, which is very important, but uh, strangely, insulin has, is fragile and it needs to be refrigerated in these refrigerated trucks. And so we have, we just purchased this refrigerated truck that will be delivering insulin all over Ukraine. Thanks to our, our donors. And thanks to you. So go to this, uh, this show is always brought to you by the vulnerable people project. Go to our website, thegreatcampaign.org. Become a monthly donor. Our monthly donors are who allow us to make a budget to measure how much support we can actually give. I'll tell you, when the servants of the Lord, a religious community in Ukraine, asked us for this truck last week, I did not have the money, and I dipped into our reserve fund, bought the truck, and an hour or so after I bought the truck, called one of my donors, the first call, and they are covering the cost of the truck. So we stepped out in faith, and, and, and thanks to our donors... Um, in Ukraine and Afghanistan. We have never had to turn anyone away that has approached us for aid. So go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. All right, until next time, it's the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Ooh, 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 ooh.